0: Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to a new series of A Winning Mindset brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner, Allianz. Our aim is to introduce you to stories with Paralympians that will spark confidence in your everyday life. Stories of challenges, ups and downs, determination and excellence. This season will focus on mental health and how to deal with setbacks. Get to know the true power of having the right team behind you and join us as we prepare you for what's ahead. If you haven't done so already, please do go back and listen to the earlier episodes in this series. But my guest this time, I think you're going to enjoy It's vision impaired American swimmer and social media star Anastasia Pagonis. Now listen, you've made me feel very old when I was preparing for this interview because I've been watching so many of your TikTok videos and I've barely used TikTok myself so I had no idea of how to navigate the thing. And then Twitter, which I thought was still cool, you don't have a Twitter account. So what's going on? Am I not cool?
1: Okay, it's not that you're not cool. It's just TikTok is like the very young generation. I feel like Facebook and Twitter and stuff, that's more, more of like the mom-dad situation type thing you got to get more into it. Come on, I have faith in you.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, that's like a dagger to my heart already, calling me old. I'm in the dad's generation. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll carry on. I'll carry on with the interview nonetheless. Um, But we we will talk more about your um, TikTok videos later on, because I do want to get into how you are, I think, changing expectations of what a vision-impaired person can do and and who they can be. But but first of all, explain to us when and, and how you began to lose your sight.
1: Yeah. So my mom noticed that I was just not being a normal child and only a mother would notice something like that. Right. So we went to a bunch of specialists and doctors and they were telling me that I had ADD and that I just wasn't concentrating and that that was the reason why I couldn't read the chart. So we went through further testing and genetic testing and went to the best retina specialists in the world. And I got diagnosed with a genetic disease So I was pretty stable for a while. The doctors told me my vision wouldn't get past 2,400. So that's pretty much reading the E on an E chart. So I was stable with that. I could get around by myself. I just needed to enlarge font, and I couldn't really see details, which I was good. I was vibing with that. And then in 2018, I started losing the color and my peripheral vision, So originally, I just had no central vision. And then everything started to go down. And that was obviously just a lot for everyone. It was a lot for me, it was a lot for my family. So we went back to my doctor. And we got more testing done. And we were there for six weeks, for like 13 hours a day. It was a lot. It was very stressful. It was a very hard time. But we got the testing back. And We figured out that I have a genetic disease and autoimmune retinopathies. So my body thinks that my retina is bad and it attacks it.
0: I'm just trying to imagine, Anastasia, how you must have been feeling at those moments when you're realizing that your sight is getting worse again. And as you say, you noticed that over time, the color was beginning to disappear. And then you're down to peripheral vision. How are you feeling mentally during that time?
1: It was a very hard time for me. I was just in a shock in the beginning because I was like, why is the color going? What's happening? I was confused. I remember being in the airport and like just tripping over like my own feet because I thought I was seeing things in front of me. And it was just such a weird experience. It was just a shock. And then once I lost all my usable vision, I was like, okay, like this is it. This is what it's going to be. And that's when it really hit me. So I have the best parents and the best family and the best support system, which I'm so thankful for. And they put me in outpatient therapy and we just tried to do little things. In the beginning for the first probably four months, my parents wanted me to go for a five minute walk a day. And my goal was to have one smoothie a day. So it was definitely baby steps. It's crazy to think back on how I was literally going for a five minute walk. And I thought that that was the end of the world.
0: I love the idea of the smoothie being the reward at the end, and it and it obviously worked. And just for people listening now who who may well have seen you swim at the Tokyo Paralympics, for example, just outline to us what you can and can't see, uh, both just in everyday life, but also, also in the swimming pool as well.
1: I technically have no usable vision while I'm out of the swimming pool. And then in the swimming pool, a, I have to wear blackout goggles for my classification. So It's completely blacked out, and in the call room, they will check your goggles to make sure there's no light or anything, and then when I get out of the pool, they'll also check my goggles, because in my classification, which is the most visually impaired, some of us have different sights, some of us can see light perception, some of us can't, little things like that, so they make it all even by us being in blackout goggles.
0: And in your everyday life, in a sense, you have another set of eyes, don't you? You have your guide dog, Radar. And this is one of my favorite stories about you. Tell us a story about how Radar came to be your guide dog.
1: Oh, my goodness. He is my best friend. I love him to death. So when I first started losing my vision, Radar actually, his puppy razor is in my town. So he came over with Radar and I met Radar when he was a puppy. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the most hyper crazy dog. Like, he's insane. And then two years later, I was going through with the Guide Dog Foundation trying to get, you know, my second pair of eyes. And I got Radar. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting that crazy hyper dog. And then I got him and he changed my life. He completely changed as a dog too is the most low-key, calm, loving dog.
0: Wow, Radar sounds absolutely amazing. And when I hear you talking about Radar, it makes me think that on this podcast, I speak to Paralympians who use wheelchairs or who have prosthetic limbs, for example. And it strikes me that Radar is just as important to you as, say, that racing wheelchair or that running blade is to somebody else in the Paralympics, isn't he?
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean... Unfortunately, I wasn't able to take Radar to Tokyo and I felt like I kind of lost my vision all over again, if that makes sense.
0: How important is Radar in specifically in sparking confidence within you?
1: Oh my goodness. I feel so independent with him. Um, Before I had him, I always had to like hold on to my mom's arm to get me around. And in my opinion, I feel like the stereotype of a cane just it's not as welcoming as a puppy. (laughs) So once I got him, I just felt more welcomed by just the world and my independence level skyrocketed.
0: And out of interest, what did you do in Tokyo? Because again, I think, you know, we're we're used to seeing the images of you Winning races, winning medals, you know, and actually none of us really, unless we're there with you, would see the the other side of that, you navigating Tokyo, getting into the village, getting to the pool, etc. So how did you manage all that without Radar being able to be with you?
1: I had my cane, obviously, and staff would help me. So I would pretty much just hold their arm and they would like help guide me around or friends. I mean, the whole team is amazing and everyone helps everyone. I mean, one person's yelling for someone to get them their leg. The other one's like, help me, where am I going? So it's definitely a very interesting environment that if you're not in the environment, it's kind of weird, but it's our normal life.
0: It is, it is really interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when you watch the Olympics, you know, let's take Usain Bolt or one of the top swimmers or something. When, you know, when Bolt ran and won and was the star of the show, he would just, you know, he'd be able to just walk off the track like everybody else at the Paralympics. You have this moment where you are this... You know, Channel Four in the UK used this term "superhuman." You have this superhuman moment where you do this incredible thing in your sport, but then actually, you then need help to get out of the pool and and get back to the village and things like that. That's that's actually one of the unique and and brilliant things about the Paralympics, isn't it?
1: Exactly, and I mean every single Paralympian that I've talked to always says that their sport is their free place it's where they feel happy and where they feel free and the only place where they truly have like independence so it's amazing
0: and is that the case for you do you feel that you're happiest when you're in the water
1: oh yes definitely i feel free i mean before i went up for my first race i thought i was gonna die i was like all right this is it for me i'm not gonna make it through this this is just gonna be it for me and once I dove in the water, I don't remember anything else.
0: Because you did have, I mean, you know, you, you sort of joke about it now, but your first few attempts at swimming were were traumatic, weren't they?
1: Oh, my goodness. It was a nightmare. So the first time I got in the pool, I pushed off the wall and I went right into the lane line and I scraped my whole nose and it was a mess. I got out of the pool and I was screaming and crying saying I was never, ever going to do this again and how much I hated it. Anyways, I went back into the pool the next day, So, <laughs> but after lots of broken fingers, broken hands, broken feet, thankfully no concussions, not that we know of at least, but yeah, I mean, it just takes a lot of trial and error. I have my tappers, so if you look at my race, I have two people on the end of each pool with a pole with a pool noodle at the end of it, and that's how I know I'm getting close to the wall, because they'll give me a little bop on the head. So every time I compete and when I won that gold medal, I was like, this is a a team. Like, I didn't win this. We won this. Because if it weren't for you, I would not have got this. I would have been crashed into the wall. So it's definitely a team effort. Everything is.
0: I mean, you talk about it reasonably lightly now, but it seems to me to be a remarkable effort to have those traumatic experiences the first few times you swam, but to keep going back. What was it that kept you returning?
1: Yeah, just remembering how much i loved it i mean i swam before i lost all my usable vision well i was originally a soccer player and then i started swimming and then when i lost all my usable vision i had to stop and you know focus on myself and getting me mentally back to where i was and i just remember how happy i was when i was swimming and how much i enjoyed it and i knew that it was possible and that i could get there but i needed the right people in my life and the right people to support me And then I finally found my coach, Mark Dannon, and he has been a lifesaver to me. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for him or my parents. So I'm very thankful for all of them.
0: I'm going to ask you about Mark in a moment. But first of all, and I know she's nearby, so I don't want to sort of embarrass you. But just how important was your mom through those times of struggle?
1: Oh, my goodness. My mom is my best friend. Obviously, she's my mom. And she's she's my lifeline. Well, we'll say that she really is. She helps me with everything. She makes it so that I can be independent, but at the same time, she's always that like little backup person. So she's truly my best friend.
0: Is she right next to you now? Can I say a quick hello? Yes,
1: yeah, she is right next to me.
0: <laughs> you have a very impressive daughter, but I, I am sure that you are a very impressive person as well to have helped her helped her to this point.
1: She won't say she is, but she is. No, she's her own little force. This one, so a know. force with a force behind me. We'll say that. I just ride the wave behind her. She makes. the She wave. pushes the wave.
0: <laughs> um, now, Anastasia, uh, another person who who helped you through that period, as you say, was your coach Mark Dannin, and he did a brilliant thing. I think you know it actually sort of makes me well up actually to talk about this. He modified his swimming goggles so he could experience what you're seeing or, or not seeing when you swim. Um, how much did that gesture uh, mean to you and, and how much did that help you prepare uh, for races in a, in a more confident way?
1: It changed everything. So the first time I got into the pool, we were both just sitting there like, wow, how are we going to do this? He had leashes around me, like all of these things. He was pushing me like side to side to try and just keep me straight in the pool. And to say the least, it was a disaster. So I, I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe this just isn't for me. And then two weeks later, he called us and he's like, all right, we're doing this. Like, exactly. I, I'm going to figure this out and we're going to do this. So he duct taped his own goggles and he tried to figure out how I could swim and how I could do this and how he could teach me. I was his first blind swimmer. He's worked with people before, but nobody like me. And he kind of had to figure out. How he could do this, how he was going to teach me how to do this, because I pretty much had to start all over again. But he was there for it, and through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, we did it.
0: We'll be hearing much more from Anastasia in a few moments, but in this series, we're also getting to know who's behind the athletes for what's ahead. Brought to you by Allianz, a long standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner of the International Paralympic Committee, we're introducing you to the people behind the Paralympians the ones that spark their confidence and help them prepare for what's ahead. For Anastasia, that's her coach, Mark Dannen. And I spoke to him about what it's like to train such a force of nature.
2: She is a ball of energy. She um, really kind of makes it fun to coach because she's got such a pleasant personality. So it makes it just fun to coach.
0: And can you remember the first time you met her? and, And how did you come to take up the role of her coach?
2: Yeah. The first time I met her, um, they somehow found my number and her mother texted me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some private coaching for her daughter and told me that she was visually impaired. And I just said, sure, I'm busy coaching my club, but I do run private lessons as well. And I thought it would be kind of a good challenge for me to coach a visually impaired swimmer
0: and it's certainly gone pretty well we'll get on to Anastasia's achievements in a moment but I think I'm right in saying it was before she came to you Anastasia had had a really tough time adjusting to being in a swimming pool and not being able to see she actually had some very low points didn't she so how were you able to to help spark her confidence so
2: uh when I initially met her she you know the her mother was concerned because my pool outside is a 25-yard pool, lap pool, and it's made of, you know, concrete. They were very concerned, and I can see the, the nerves going between the mom and Anastasia. And I kind of just set her up with some humor and trying to show her that she can trust me. And from right off the bat, we kind of hit it off where within five minutes, she was laughing, she was smiling, she was having fun, and they knew that, that this could work.
0: Because you're being quite modest, because I think you did something quite brilliant, which is that you blacked out a pair of swimming goggles yourself, didn't you? And and you wore them in the pool so that you could get a flavor of what it's like for her when she's swimming. Um, How, how did that feel to you when you were swimming with those blacked out goggles on?
2: Yeah, so when I first kind of met her, I was trying to just figure out some ideas that I might be able to help her with. And then I realized that uh, it was going to be a lot tougher than that. So after she left, I did black out my own goggles and I went in the water. (laughs) So as soon as I did that, you know, it was an eye opener for lack of better words. Right.
0: How did it feel?
2: I learned that I was, you know, uh, vulnerable and scared and everything that I could do could lead to an injury um, without the proper help. And it was able to put me in her position. So I was more empathetic to what she's going through rather than just being like, okay, yeah, this is no big deal. Just swim your strokes and we'll get this done. So it was more of, okay, we got to change things around. And I need to really make her feel that she could train without crazy obstacles or thoughts that are so negative that she's gonna hurt herself. And that's what it helped me do.
0: Did she ever tell you about those sort of low points? Did she ever say, God, before I before I found you, Mark, things were things were pretty tough.
2: Yeah, she did. And I don't really get stuck on that. So as soon as she talks about that, I go, Oh uh, yeah, you know, everybody that you're around is going through something and that's really tough. But right now you're doing such good things and you're in a happy place so let's focus on the now
0: well it seems to be working and she you know we've been speaking to Anastasia about defying expectations and how she loves to prove people wrong does she actually ever surprise you with things that actually you know you think wow I can't believe she's done that
2: so she was training like uh, three days a week or four days a week and I was saying okay look I'm I'm working uh, lots of jobs I try to make it as a swim coach and support myself and my family so you're gonna have to come to some odd times so when I told her the times and they were like waking up at 4:30 in the morning and then coming again at eight o'clock at night and you live so far away I I did think that this was not gonna work I I thought that she was gonna flake out she didn't she like. Persevered and she just kept coming and I was like, oh my God, I need a day off. But anyway, (laughs) um, she that did surprise me. That was very surprising on the discipline, and that showed me that she really did want it and she really did care. You know, those days were hard and there was emotions flying everywhere between, you know, me being an old bat and her uh, you know, being a young kid going through, you know, bodily changes and hormones. So it was just a lot of ups and downs. But she She wrote it, man. She stayed on that track.
0: It's just brilliant to hear how much he was. He was just absolutely kind of squarely behind you and he was doing everything he could to to push you ahead. And and you were one of the youngest medal winners at the the Tokyo Paralympics. You got a gold and a bronze. The hype is true. She is a sensation. She's 17 years old. She breaks her own world record. A 4 45, that is brilliant from Pagonis. What reactions have you have you received since, since getting home from Tokyo?
1: Oh my goodness, just so much positivity. Everyone is just so supportive, which is so amazing. And I feel like we're finally getting somewhere with the Paralympics where it's, I wouldn't say at the point of equal, but we're really getting there. And I think that that is super, super important. The people that I talk to are now saying like, oh, you're a Paralympian, not an Olympian, where they used to be like, oh, she's an Olympian. But now they're knowing more about it, which is so important. So it's amazing.
0: So this is where we get onto your famous TikTok videos (laughs) and your Instagram presence, which as you've you've already pointed out, I'm too old to understand. Uh, Let's take a quick listen to one of your posts.
1: I'm Anastasia and I'm a Paralympic gold and bronze medalist. And I'm going to tell you how I know the difference between my gold and my bronze. I know that this one is my gold because it has one dot on the top, a little indent representing one as in gold and same on here. And then on the back, it says Tokyo 2020 in Braille. This one is bronze because it has three dots on the
0: side. All of this kind of, you know, putting yourself out there, becoming an advocate for for people living with a vision impairment. Why do you do that? and, And what does that give you?
1: Yeah, I do it because I feel like there is a huge stereotype on blindness and that people think that you have to look a certain way, act a certain way and be a certain way. And Hollywood kind of puts this stereotype on it where you have to wear dark sunglasses and walk around like a zombie, which is very much not the case. So I'm showing people that, yeah, I can be an elite athlete. I can wear makeup. I can dress cute. I can do all these things and I can do it by myself. Obviously, I might need a little bit of help. If you saw me with my makeup without my mom cleaning it up, you might be a little concerned, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, So just breaking down the stereotypes, I think is really important. And TikTok is a very young generation. So the more information I can get out there, the better. And obviously I have to be goofy and make fun of myself, but that's what gets their attention and then they end up learning. Have you ever seen a blind girl try to self-defend herself? You probably haven't. It's not pretty. Lady, give me all your money. Okay, can you just, like, make some noise so I know where to hit? Ow!
0: I think I know the answer to this, Anastasia, but do you enjoy proving people wrong?
1: Oh my goodness, I love it. I live for it.
0: (laughs) And why is that?
1: I just have had people who doubt me, I guess, and they think that obviously that I can't do these things. And they automatically think in my comments, I get who does her makeup? What do you mean who does her makeup? Would you ask a normal person who does their makeup? No, you just assume that they did their own makeup. So showing people like, yeah, I do my own makeup and showing them my little room area with no mirror. And I just have like a pin board there and showing them me doing my own makeup right there and showing them how to do it in that there is ways around things and it's not just one way to do things.
0: And when people question what you can do, either in sports or outside of sport, can you put that behind you and use it as motivation for what's ahead or does that criticism hurt you?
1: No, it makes me stronger. It makes me want to just work harder and be the best that I can be. <laughs>
0: and now you have this large following and you know the Paralympic medals, you're absolutely a, a role model. Is that a responsibility that you enjoy having
1: I think that I uh, I don't know I think I'm just normal and that I just enjoy making these videos and I enjoy swimming and obviously it's something that I work hard for but showing people with disabilities that you can do anything and just showing that to them so that they don't feel hopeless and that they know that they can accomplish amazing things
0: have you had other uh, vision impaired people get in touch with you to say wow you know i saw you do this or i saw this video you posted and it's made me go and do you know something myself
1: definitely i mean i have people contact me all the time saying that like i helped them and things like that because I've got, I got bullied a lot when I was first losing my vision, and I know how that feels. So I have little girls DMing me saying that they're getting bullied for whatever reason, even people who aren't visually impaired, and just kind of helping them through it. And even the visually impaired community, just showing them little tricks and little things that they can do. I, I would like to say I'm very experienced on my phone with like technology and things like that. So I like showing them little tricks that they don't know that they can actually do on their phone that they didn't think they were able to do.
0: It's funny, a lot of this reminds me of a chat we had with Irish swimmer Ellen Keane on our first series. She's missing part of her arm. And she's had people reach out to her because of things like Instagram. There was one girl, in fact, who she ended up meeting who was actually missing exactly the same part of her arm. And and that was just incredible. And I'm sure you're going to thrive being the voice behind others with similar experiences over the next few years
1: yes definitely I mean I hope to um that's something that's very important to me and hopefully helping them in the best way that I can because I know it's hard and just giving them hope for things I think is really important it's always good to have someone to look up to
0: it must be actually really kind of cool and exciting to have this profile to be able to have that influence on people you know I mean I you know I'm disabled myself and um you know, I spe- I like proving people wrong. But the the circle of people that I can prove wrong is actually quite small. You know, I'm not a Paralympic medalist or something. And I'm thinking, you know, for you, I'm sure before you were famous, I'm sure the desire to prove people wrong was just as strong. But you couldn't you couldn't get get out to as many people as you can now. If you understand me?
1: Yeah, no, definitely, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, I've always had a drive ever since I was little, just to always been that little sassy girl, but um, I definitely think that having a following and having a platform where I'm able to share my story and share myself and my accomplishments, I mean, they're all my friends. I grew up not having too many friends because when I lost my vision, I unfortunately lost my friends, which is okay because It just got rid of them sooner because they were fake in the first place. So whatever. Um, So now I have this huge platform with over 2 million of my friends. So it's amazing.
0: I don't want to sound negative, but of course you refer to bullying, you know, real life bullying, if you want to call it that, when you were younger. Everybody I think is aware of in the digital world, there is the potential for bullying there and abuse and and being trolled, etc., is that something that you're experiencing now? Because obviously, with all of the positives of your public profile, there must come some negatives as well.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I get cyberbullied a lot. I mean, it was to the point, I think, a few months ago where I just had all my comments turned off because it wasn't something that I needed. I didn't need your negativity. and. I feel like people weren't raised right. Like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And it's always these people with no profile picture who are in fifth grade. And if your mom was seeing this, would she be happy? Like, no. So why are you saying it?
0: <laughs> and can you just brush it off? I mean, genuinely, I, I appreciate, you know, in an interview like this, you might say to me, oh yeah, I, I can I can brush it off. But, but you know, really, does, does any of it kind of cut through and, and hurt you like the bullying used to do?
1: Yeah, I mean... Obviously, things get to you because it's like, why would someone think that? So, I mean, now I mostly use it for fuel, but some of the things that people say, it's truly disgusting and it makes you not even want to leave your house. So it's truly insane what people think that they can say on the Internet behind a screen because you know that they would never, ever dare say that to you in person. So it does hurt, but you just got to use it as fuel.
0: And we've been talking about defying expectations. So when you look ahead, what, how do you want to prove people wrong in the next few years? Or what, what are some of the expectations you want to kind of defy in the next few years?
1: I would love to hopefully go to Paris 2024 and hopefully get a few more medals. That would be amazing and just show people that I can do it. And hopefully work on my breaststroke because that wasn't too great. So, you know, breaking down stereotypes with that.
0: And what about the TikTok side of things? Because I kind of watch some of those and I think, wow, this girl's going to end up on TV one day as in presenting on tv or something like that
1: thank you listen i'll take anything that's thrown my direction i love interacting with people i love hearing people's opinions i love all that i just love talking like i could talk forever so this is the perfect thing for me but yeah i would really love to do anything and just keep growing my following and keep educating people and having fun with it
0: Well, you can probably tell I really enjoyed that conversation with Anastasia and her coach, Mark Dannin, and also great that her mum popped up too, albeit briefly. What a superstar Anastasia is, and she spoke so powerfully about a number of things there. The one that stuck with me was using negative comments and experiences as a fuel, as a motivation. And just a word again about the brilliant adaptation Mark made to tape over his own goggles to put himself in Anastasia's position. That to me shows real empathy, but also illustrates how simple gestures of creative thinking and innovation can sometimes really spark confidence in a disabled person, regardless of how independent they already are. Next time I'll be speaking to Summit Antil, who's become an absolute hero in India after winning Paralympic gold in the javelin at Tokyo. He was forced to look for a new purpose in life, after having to abandon plans to become a wrestler and a soldier in the Indian Army when he lost his leg in a road accident. Please do subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and we'll speak to you next time.